0: doody little buckaroo to you like animals we sure do so come on down to the weekly meeting of the animal fan club cuckoo cuckoo
1: the cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature clock so ring that buzzer it sounds like a lion roar
0: roar
1: and open the door to join us for the 57th meeting of the animal fan club
0: I'm in my fifth and most exciting in-star mic.
1: And I'm a sassy little puppy who wants no part of your party, Meredith.
0: We meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. Earth, Earth. To talk about our favorite animals.
1: Well, we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder.
0: Wow! So,
1: saddle up a miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest fin-filled and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom Animalia.
0: That was nice, Meredith.
1: Oh, thanks. You too. Always. Sorry, I'm just adjusting my mic. No. I'm in another um, outpost of the Dalmatian Station. Yes. Right across the hall from the Dalmatian Station childhood bedroom.
0: That's right. That's right. Your mom's <laughs> still in the house that you grew up in. Isn't that... Yes. That's The wild. one and only one. I recently visited a friend of the pod molly actually when she was on the episode i was in her childhood home
1: yes i love that it's such a trip there's just so much like i'm literally looking at like the wooden fire truck we played with as kids there's a silverfish on the wall i mean it's it's all here and it's all happening
0: that sounds wonderful (laughs) yeah well speaking of silverfish I had a bit of a roach revelation.
1: Oh my gosh, please tell me. Well,
0: I was just cleaning and finding carcasses, <gasps> which means I have a trap recommendation. Okay. Which are these like clear plastic ones with liquid in them. Okay. And those seem to really do the job.
1: Clear, And you buy those somewhere? You buy them like at the drugstore? Uh, or the hardware store, I should say?
0: Yeah, I guess you could do that. You could find them online somewhere. You could find them in person somewhere. But it's a particular type of trap. I'll send you a photo of it, Meredith.
1: Okay, I am all ears and eyes for that.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you were talking about the smell and I was cleaning and I feel like by re-wetting the like areas where I was cleaning, I was like reactivating the smell. (laughs) So I have to do more reading about that before I like really go in and do a deep, deep clean. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think it's just the like smell of their like rotting and their detritus. And they're cannibalizing one another and just they're living. You know, we all have our own smells. And why should we think that doesn't apply to cockroaches?
0: That's true. That's true. I heard one of my friends, Meredith, who has mice. Yeah. Which made me count my blessings because I would rather have strange insects than strange mammals, if I'm honest.
1: Yeah, I will say, I know this happened before I got there to this apartment, but I was like actually down on my hands and knees looking. You know, for roach evidence, like alongside of the dishwasher, which is where they seem to be hiding out. And I shined the flashlight back there, and there was like a glue trap with a very long since past mouse stuck to it. And I like recoiled in horror. It was.
0: (laughs) You've been living with a mouse mummy this whole time? Yeah.
1: And I know it was, it predated me. Wow. I know. It's probably not the only one, which is really upsetting because we did have a weird stink in the living room. Oh my gosh. I'm just sharing like way too much. Yeah. We're not filthy people, I swear.
0: (laughs) But this isn't a pest control podcast, Meredith.
1: Definitely not.
0: Well, it's Christmas time, I guess. Have you had any Christmas animal journeys?
1: Well, not so much that. I just have in my notes here, Claude is the cutest, my cat, the cat that lives here in Cincinnati. He's just
0: the cat. Yeah.
1: Unlimited squeals for me. But last night I actually had the privilege of officiating a extremely tiny wedding for friend of the pod. Mary Lauren came on and talked to us about bonobos.
0: That's right, our bonobo expert.
1: Yes, she got married last night to Kyle. Congratulations, Ooh. Mary Lauren and Kyle. And their ring Yay. their ring bearer was their little doggy Hamlet. <laughs>
0: adorable
1: it was really cute like in my i was like and now hamlet will you present us with the rings (laughs) and then trots this little white dog
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's literally perfect yes
1: it was very sweet hamlet did a wonderful job he certainly delivered um on the cuteness factor and he didn't lose the rings which as is often like a sitcom plot point right (laughs) right
0: good work hamlet yeah
1: he crushed it yeah, and the whole thing was like very Christmassy. It was outside, and there was a snow machine, and it was very cute. But yeah, I just read today in the paper that there's a clouded leopard at the Louisville Zoo who has also contracted COVID.
0: I saw something about that.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah, I don't like that at all. You don't
1: either. I guess from the big cats that were infected earlier, remember from our, our Zooey Zooey segment?
0: I do, I do.
1: They seem to recover pretty well, which it does give me hope. It makes me feel less, like, anxious about it. Well, good. But, yeah. But how, how have you been outside of your roach journey?
0: I've been pretty good, <laughs> Meredith. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about, like, starting to become sweater season for dogs. Mm-hmm. I think that's exciting. I've seen some really cute creature fashions. I saw this kind of short, like, a sort of, like, stocky beagle sized dog. You know what I mean? Wearing like a blue faux Canada goose jacket. Oh
1: my gosh. Only in New
0: York. I know. I know.
1: I will say the doggies last night were wearing little doggy tuxes.
0: I, I would hope.
1: I know. If anything. Do
0: you think that they rented them?
1: Um, Yes. From Brand Clubby's rental tux division. Of course.
0: Yeah. The canine division of the tux rental
1: canine coattails by brand clubby
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah all right well perfect we're giving them away giving away gems here brand clubby
1: you could pay me later i'm on venmo
0: sign into my dms get my venmo i'll send you my amazon wish list you can buy me something
1: perfect well any other any other animal journeys or are we going to hear about them later
0: Oh that's a good question Meredith I don't know honestly I feel like I've been very like focused on my work so in that sense Yeah I mean there are other animals that are that way maybe I feel a bit like a naked mole rat you know like
1: always digging always digging
0: Yeah yeah but uh, not any like particular animal energy like but how 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 about you
1: It's just it's been a lot of eating a lot of eating Cincinnati delicacies is there an animal that eats, like, predominantly Skyline chili? Because I think that's the energy I'm I'm uh, feeling right now.
0: I believe that would be a bear cat.
1: Yeah, bear cat energy, definitely. But in
0: this case, the student, not the bitterong.
1: Right. We literally just ordered Adriatico's breadsticks <laughs> just because. Oh,
0: my God. I'm so jealous of you right now. <gasps> that cheese sauce?
1: The cheese sauce is everything. So, yeah, definitely bear cat vibes this week.
0: For me. Do you remember that time that I called Adriatico's and I was like, hi, we need a bear cat and an order of Parmesan breadsticks. And then we need a total of eight <laughs> cheese sauces. Because yes. I was very unclear as to like how many cheese sauces came with the meal. So I was just like, we need a total of this many <laughs> cheese sauces.
1: One sauce pot per person, please.
0: Yeah, everybody gets <laughs> their own sauce pot. Otherwise, it's going to descend into chaos.
1: Yes, and we cannot have that.
0: Ah, uh, the best of times, Meredith. I know, right? The Halcyon days of our youth.
1: So true. Doing nothing. Yeah, doing nothing but eating a lot of pizza. Well,
0: <laughs> doing nothing but just being fully immersed in music constantly. Right. Right. Except when we were fully immersed in the process of eating pizza covered in cheese sauce.
1: Yes. A pizza that is like the size of a normal like kitchen table. <laughs> the
0: box. Yeah, yeah. I think the box actually would not fit on the table on which I eat dinner. Oh my
1: gosh! Well, what a trip down memory lane this has been. <laughs> Maybe we should just get into it.
0: Yeah, you go first.
1: I do. I do.
0: Let's uh, kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer.
1: All right.
0: Ready? Okay. Taxonomy you. Taxona we. Taxona who?
1: Taxonomy me. Kingdom. Animalia. Tis the reason for the podcast? Phylum. Mollusca. Is that the second largest phylum of invertebrates or are you just happy to see me? Gastropoda. Ew, slimy snails and slugs. Order. Latornomorpha. It's like mostly sea snails. Family. Strombidae. Oh, so you're a true conch. Genus. Strombus. Is it a conch or is it a frog? Species. Strombus pugilis. Pugilistic conches my new Afro-Cuban metal band. It's the West Indian fighting
0: conch. West Indian Fighting Conch is a good name for a metal band too.
1: I <laughs> know, not just a metal band, an Afro-Cuban metal band,
0: right? <laughs> right, like post calypso metal.
1: <laughs> oh, we've we've moved into post calypso now.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine a world post calypso.
1: I don't want to know it. post apocalypso. <laughs> 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 it's dark but with a calypso beat it's great <laughs> all right anyhow i got the idea for this because i was just kind of like hmm, we've been very like mammal and bird heavy lately so i was like what could i do that's a little you know off the beaten path yeah off the well-trod shoreline
0: <laughs> thinking outside of the spine
1: exactly yes you got to think outside the spine And so I was just scrolling through Joe Sartore's um, Instagram feed and they had these Floridan or not Floridian or the Florida fighting conches. It sounds like a school mascot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like the technical college in Gainesville. There's the Gators and then the fighting conches.
1: Yes. It's kind of, I mean, it's not any like, it's really not any better or worse than the, what is it? The UC Santa Cruz banana slugs. Right. Also, mollusca, team mollusca. Yeah,
0: team mollusk.
1: Yeah. So, let's just go through some tax facts real quick because it's always so complicated with these guys. I mean, geez. So, we're obviously, we know Animalia. It's the reason for this podcast. Duh, duh, duh. Phylum mollusca. So, thanks to your very long mollusk journey, Mike, we know that mollusks are highly diverse, that they live in like salt, freshwater terrestrial habitats. They're found the world over, right? Um, and it's, again, like I mentioned, it's the second largest phylum of invertebrates after arthropods, okay? Second largest phylum of invertebrates after arthropods. Ugh. So I I had to like clarify this because I had like another second largest a couple weeks ago with the chameleon and that was the second largest order So order, not phylum. That was the second largest order of vertebrates after persiform fish was the squamata.
0: Right, right, right. right. This is
1: all very confusing. (laughs) I don't know if this is useful at all.
0: Well, but that's why ranking's useful because phylums are much bigger than orders. You know, phylums encompass more creatures than orders, as we'll come to find out.
1: Uh Uh-oh. So it's phylum class order, so. Just so to orient ourselves. So that's mollusca. I mean, they're like all over the place. They look really wildly different from one another and they live all over the place. Moving into class, gastropoda. So that's snails and slugs, as we learned with our um, snail, for instance, the domestic snail or whatever it was called. I don't remember. What it is. It's just like the common, uh-huh. the common garden snail. So here's another. So this is there. It's the second largest class after insects. So that makes sense. So if it was the second largest phylum after arthropods, they're the second largest class after insects.
0: Say that one more time.
1: We already mentioned they're the second largest phylum after arthropods. Right. But then when we move down to class, a little bit more specific, the gastropods are the second largest class after insects.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So... You know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride here, but it's okay.
0: Yeah, that's okay, but you keep going strong, mollusk.
1: Yeah, keep doing it, mollusks, gastropods. Yeah,
0: let's hear it for gastropods.
1: Slap your eye stalks together Yeah, for gastropods, maybe?
0: Yeah, leave a trail. (laughs)
1: Leave a (laughs) trail. Gross. Leave a slick. Okay, so we move into order, which is Litorinomorpha. So this gets like slightly more specific as it narrows down to quote-unquote mostly sea snails. So it's more specific in that it's sea snails, but it still includes like some terrestrial and freshwater snails as well. So again, it's like you're not really helping. It's like not really getting that much more specific. So it's like we can't even just have sea snails. We also have to include some land and freshwater ones as well. So now finally to family, we're starting to get somewhere. Finally able to orient ourselves and like what the hell we're talking about. So the family is Strombidae. Day. And this refers to the true conchs or conches. I don't know what's right. True conches? Do you say conch shell or conch?
0: I would say conch.
1: True conch. Okay. So true conches. They made a point saying true conches.
0: Consciousness.
1: Consciousness. True consciousness. It's actually an unclear term as conch classification is like super nebulous. So for instance, the old thinking that within the family of Strombidae there were only two genera, but now it that's been like broken down into 23 genera by now, but like most textbooks still reflect the old knowledge. So most textbooks still only say that there's only two genera within the family of Strombidae, even though now there's like 23.
0: It sounds like we need a conch classification task force.
1: Yes. My god. If we need anything today, yeah, screw the vaccine. The conch the classification, classification task, task force. Yeah, on we this. need it. The Strombidae need our help. Yeah. So then we move into the genus of Strombus. So this is one of the two genera that is traditionally included in the Strombidae family and like textbooks and stuff. So this applies to medium to large sea snails inhabiting mainly the Pacific and the Indian Ocean. So there are six in the Caribbean region, including R, West, Indian, fighting, conch, conch, Uh conch, conch. Actually, what's kind of interesting about these guys and different than a lot of other, um, I think, mollusks and um, non-vertebrate, invertebrate things that we've covered, there's not really a whole lot of information on them. I kind of feel like it's either feast or famine, there's like nothing, or there's just so much information and such like alien terminology that it's like, I don't know what to do. Right. So we're kind of on the less information spectrum
0: here. Yeah, that's okay, relatable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we all probably know what conch shells look like. They're um very much like associated with that beach iconography. You can buy them like in any gift shop. They're very commonly found on the beaches. Those big conch shells uh-huh they're even used as like musical instruments they're worn as costumes in some traditional dress yeah all they're very very prominent i think in culture is the world over
0: right well as an instrument it's iconic as that shell that one blows into as they would a trumpet right to do that you like cut off the top of it and then it kind of creates a sort of like almost trumpet mouthpiece-like shape. Yes. And you just buzz your lips against that, and it uses the whole shell as a sort of uh, resonating chamber of sorts.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I kind of think of them as like like an ice cream cone, not like a cake cone, but like the ice cream cones that come to a tip. Yes. So there's terminology here so the like the ice cream part would be like the whirls so the whirls are kind of that circular thing that terminates Mm -hmm. in the spire on the top right and then there's kind of spines coming off of those whirls right that's like the the ice cream part of it but then it terminates on the other end it kind of comes to a point like a conical point that would be like the cone part sure holding up the ice cream
0: yes i'm with you
1: (laughs) you got it And so on the side, is kind of as if, like, the ice cream cone has been, like, splayed open. There's this, what's called the aperture. So that's actually where the animal, like, Uh gets squished in or is squished in. It's so hard for me because I feel like it was only after doing this work on these things that I ever thought that, like, These creatures grow their own shells. I just thought everything was like working in the hermit crab way where they find new shells and move into them. But no, like these creatures like develop these shells on their backs. It's so hard for me to like think of the shell and the creature as one.
0: Right, right. But the shell is actually like growing out of them. It's that calcium carbonate process that we've talked about before.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: On their mantle.
1: Yes, Yeah, so it's their mantle that's kind of, like, inside the shell and kind of, like, squeezes through the aperture.
0: Right, but those shells gotta come from somewhere, you know, it's...
1: Isn't it just crazy that they're created from nothing and they just, like, develop into these beautiful tokens of the sea? Sure,
0: but it's the same <laughs> as, like, horn development, you know what I mean? It's the That's same as, yeah, like, a sort of gorgeous display of keratin or, you know, other combinations of calcium carbonate.
1: Or even just a beautiful pelage. Like, where does it come from? Right. It's crazy. Right. Develops from nothing.
0: Carapace is even. Ugh. Carapai. Carapai.
1: for Carapai, carapai. <laughs> carapai, carapai canape.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And so, of course, I didn't mention this before, but like, obviously, we know these shells are going to be like salmon, pink, yellow, orange in color, generally. Like I said, inside the aperture is actually the conch, the creature. And so snails had a similar thing. So essentially, the aperture is covered over by what is kind of like the foot, what is called the operculum. So it's like this sickle-shaped thing that, like, completely fills in the uh, shape of the aperture opening, uh-huh. kind of, like, sealing it uh-huh. off. But this is also the thing that the snail uses to propel itself, which I'll talk about momentarily. Yeah, and so this is what I meant when I was like, is this a conch or is this a frog? <laughs> because the way that – I think it's actually all of the um day, the true conches, they they don't, like, scoot. They literally, like, hop. They have this they have this big operculum that like pushes them forward, so they almost kind of leap like a frog. It looks weird, huh? It looks super weird.
0: I guess I haven't thought about how they would locomote before.
1: I hadn't either. I really had never considered the conch, like
0: at all. Consider the conch,
1: consider the conch, and let the operculum be your guide. So, actually, it's at the ice cream cone tip, so like the cone tip of the shell. That's where that actually the head. Of the conch comes out. Oh. And it's actually pretty cute. I didn't realize it had, like, such a face to it. Because I always think of, like, the ice cream part to be, like, the top of the shell. But actually, that's, like, the butt, Uh really. Yeah. So out of the end, so out of the cone part of the shell comes two eye stalks. Like, kind of like what we know with the snail. Mm -hmm. But then this, like, long snout as well. Which is really kind of cute because they, like, use the snout to, like, root around on the seabed and, like, pick up the algae and plants that they eat as well as the detritus. Yeah, so they kind of look like, for people who are familiar with, the show on Disney Plus called Earth to Ned.
0: Yes, I am. I have watched it at your recommendation, and I recommend it to everyone.
1: (laughs) It's great. But the sidekick, Cornelius, actually is kind of channeling a little bit of this, like, two eye stalks with a a longer snout. Yes. Vibe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And actually there's like, what is it called? What is this word? Okay, so there's this notch on the bottom, like the ice cream cone tip of the shell called the stromboid notch. And that's essentially like a notch that one of the eye stalks kind of like fits into. (laughs) 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 It's really cute. So it's like you've got the face kind of at the tip of the shell. And then it's like from the face that the operculum kind of like hinges off of. Essentially, so like the operculum, like the foot kind of hinges off, like it connects to like the face end Uh of the conch. And then that kind of like propels down and that pushes the conch forward. So like the ice cream end is what moves forward. Uh It kind of leaps forward, but the face is like facing backwards as it moves forward.
0: I just had a bit of a revelation about mollusks, Meredith. Yeah. Based on this, because if you think of the cephalopods, like the octopuses, which have, Uh you know, a head and a bunch of legs, like, isn't this sort of like mono leg thing that's happening? A sort of like proto cephalopod thing? You know what I mean? Like, don't you begin to see the relationship between the two? Totally, possibly. Yeah. Perhaps they're divergent further up, you know, in terms of the. Actual, I don't actually know about this, but it just is sparking this thing. It's this relation of, like, octopuses are essentially, like, conches that grew fiercer legs Mm -hmm. and left their shell behind, in a way.
1: Leave that shell behind. Okay. So, yeah, that's kind of how they jump with this operculum thing. It's just very bizarre. Um, So they're typically found in the intertidal zone, so kind of like the seashore area we've talked about before so not really deep water at all um it's usually like two to ten meters deep Uh usually much more shallow which is why we often find conches on the beach right so they're found in bermuda southeast florida the caribbean and all the way down into brazil um they're also very popular in home aquariums which is a that's a weird corner of youtube i had never experienced was just people loving on their aquarium shit Yeah.
0: yeah like yeah people love aquariums
1: yeah Like weird, weird Southern men just like really nerding out about (laughs) fighting conches.
0: Yeah, get into it.
1: And then conch itself is like a very popular cuisine or source of protein Uh found in a lot of like Jamaican, Puerto Rican, Dominican foods often used in like stews and ceviches. It's often used as fish bait as well and then obviously those shells are sold in like every beach souvenir shop
0: yes ever true
1: and then you know other than that there's not a whole lot to say i mean i really couldn't find much about mating other than that like the eggs are laid in long gelatinous strands on the sea floor but unlike the like the garden snail they're not hermaphroditic so these are different okay in the sense that there are distinct male female conches okay
0: okay that's one of those like variable things in gastropods where like yes some gastropods have love darts and some are hermaphrodites (laughs) and some are neither but
1: of course there was like another sea snail that like starts off as female and then like as it grows older it becomes male it's just
0: well yes
1: there it's so hard to like pin down any like real consistent thread through any of these things? Like, yes, sea snails are hermaphroditic or they're non-hermaphroditic, but there's always one that's gonna buck the trend or like go against, you know, the common trait. It's just ugh. right. Mollusks are such a such a mind fuck. It's true. And so I kept thinking like about this fighting moniker, and I really couldn't find much about them fighting or, like, where that comes from other than a 23-minute long YouTube video set to a song by the band Perfect Circle.
0: Oh, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) To them, it just seems like fighting is just kind of jousting with their snouts, like a little snout joust, and that's how they fight, I guess.
0: Okay, sure, sure. But
1: I don't really know why they fight or what they're fighting over or if it's, like, our lobsters that it's, like, I don't know, maybe a sign of, like, Let's get it on. I have really no idea. It's crazy that fighting is in the name, but I couldn't find much about why they fight.
0: Or maybe someone's like,
1: I like Tool. No, I like Perfect Circle better.
0: (laughs) I think Danny Carey's work in Perfect Circle is much more expressive.
1: (laughs) That's definitely what they were fighting over. We figured it out. Yeah, we
0: figured it out. (laughs) All right. Well, a fish position, I guess. I don't know. Ding, ding, ding.
1: Yeah. (laughs) but yeah Yeah. that's pretty much
0: it well that's great meredith i found that really informative yeah i'm glad yeah i'm excited to take a break because i'm excited to talk about my creature because i think that we have some like similar qualities in terms of us stepping outside of our boxes and i just am very excited i am too i can't wait all right well but first uh a quick word from our sponsors yes Oh, well, hey there, Bill. How's it go? Wait, why are your antlers tangled in? Are those Christmas lights? Did some human do this to you? I- I- I'll charge him. I'll kill him. We're deadly, you know.
1: Now, now, calm down, Murray. Everything's fine, and no one did this to me. I've just decided that this holiday season, I didn't just want to be any old moose. I wanted to be a Christmas. moose.
0: Now what the hell is that?
1: It's just what it sounds like, Murray. I'm a moose who just can't say no to the jingling joy of Christmas. I mean, why should our reindeer cousins get to have
0: all the fun? Okay, and where did you get such an idea? Take one guess, Murray. Dagnabbit. Is it Brand clubby again? They really do manage to think of everything.
1: That's right, Murray. They even considered us festive, curious mooses who want to see where the yuletide spirit can lead them.
0: Okay, I'm listening.
1: All you have to do is log on to the Brand Clubby web portal and navigate over to the Christmas Critters tab. There you'll find the Chris Moose's kits. I obviously went with the Twinkly Ant Lights. Twinkle lights for antlers. But you can choose from other Chris Moose kits including Elk Elves, Tundra Tidings, The Twelve Dew Laps of Christmas, and for religious mooses like you, Murray... To ungulate to us, a savior is Moose
0: Kit. Well, I'll be damned, Bill. You done sold me on that last one. I'll use my holiday hooves to log on right away and order my very own Christmas Kit.
1: That's the spirit, Murray.
0: Pumpkin, money, no they chains. Here are some more Sturdy Pet Names. Ugh, we're back for another edition of Sturdy Pet Names.
1: I love this one. I know. I wanted to do Turney Pet Names because for some reason I kid I could not even begin to tell you why. I've just been watching a lot of King of the Hill. Remember the old cartoon? Uh-huh. And on that show, they're like the family pet of Hank Hill, Peggy Hill, and Bobby Hill is the dog Ladybird. Right. Who is a purebred Georgia bloodhound. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And I just think the the name Ladybird for a bloodhound is like amazing. First of all, uh huh. And then this got me like down another rabbit hole, a swamp rabbit hole of just looking at pictures of bloodhounds. I mean, what a what a funny dog. Yeah, like they have so much excess face skin, and their ears are so big. Yes, it's another creature I haven't really considered. Like, obviously, I know what a bloodhound is. Like, I know they're used to. Um, Often by like police forces to sniff out, like sniff the trail of whatever, or, you know. Sure. They're known for their great sniffing capabilities. But man, these dogs are so funny looking. Just so much excess skin and it's like folds down around their forehead. In this picture of Ladybird, I'm going to try to hold this up. It's just like,
0: oh my God.
1: She just looks so stern.
0: Oh my God. <laughs>
1: But I just love so Lady Bird is named after former president Lyndon B. Johnson's wife, Lady Bird Johnson, because <laughs> Hank Hill was a huge fan of Lyndon B. Johnson, being that uh-huh. his character's from Texas. Uh huh. And this is my favorite. Hank claims that Lady Bird's mother tracked down James Earl Ray, killer of Martin Luther King Jr.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Another trivia fact. Lady Bird also has a narrow uterus similar to Hank's narrow urethra, which made having children for Hank and Peggy very difficult. And it's also hard for Lady Bird to have puppies.
0: Aww.
1: <laughs> and I'm just so obsessed with Lady Bird. And again, a Google image search of her is just like so funny. Here she is with a
0: bow. Oh, she's so cute. <laughs> I
1: know. Um, here she is with a cowboy hat.
0: Oh, that's also very cute.
1: I'm just so into Ladybird. Like, these faces are so expressive.
0: Yeah. So, well,
1: that's my sturdy pet name, and also kind of a rundown of a great, um, great pet of cartoondom.
0: I mean, Meredith, I feel like our, I don't know, we're like in sync because my sturdy pet name is is another famous cartoon dog, (gasps) Santa's Little Helper of the Simpsons family.
1: Oh my gosh, I love the Simpsons. That is such a good choice, and that name is the best.
0: It's definitely a very wonderful name. I'm just trying to pull up some images here of Santa's Little Helper.
1: (laughs) Yes, please.
0: You can always kind of see a couple ribs exposed, yes. you know, like maybe Santa's little helper is just like a little bit too much of a mutt that kind of lives a sort of yes. flea bitten lifestyle. I don't know that the Simpsons are the best harbingers of treatment of animals, you know what I mean? But it is a sort of over the top cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say that kind of violence and neglect is something that's played off of, but Within this sort of realm where you have Bart, Marge, and Homer, and Lisa, and even Maggie.
1: Maggie, my favorite.
0: That giving them a dog with a pet name that is as sturdy as Santa's little helper is just, you know, part of a long list of reasons as to why The Simpsons endures as an American cultural classic.
1: Right. I always just love that Santa's little helper always seems a little crazed and a little like three buns short of a bread basket or like, I don't know, just like a little like off. He's just missed like a few screws or loose with that dog.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I have a friend whose dog is just kind of dumb and will just kind of like stare at the wall for three minutes and they'll be like, what's going on? And the dog will just be very intensely staring at the wall. That
1: could just be ghosts. And then we'll just
0: like lie down. I mean... I think it's probably a combination of stupidity and ghosts, considering some of the other actions. Yeah, I've borne witness to.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a much fuller uh, idea of this dog's life.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: Well, I love that. I think that's a great pet name, Santa's little helper.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think that Ladybird is also a equally sturdy pet name.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Well, wow, we've really like covered the Fox cartoon universe animals tonight.
0: We sure have. <laughs> we have Venmo Fox, we're just saying. Yeah. Pumpkin our chains. Here us some more sturdy
1: pet names. Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who?
0: Texana, me. Kingdom. Amelia, We're not here to talk about gazpacho. Cordata, spines, or maybe not. Class. Thalassiae. It's time for tunicate class. Order. Salpidae. We're talking salps. Family. Salpidae. Super creative taxonomy. Genus. Salpa. We're still talking salps. Species. Fusiformis. The common salp. It doesn't have a spine, but it's still cordata. What? Yep. How? We're finally getting there. We're finally getting there, Meredith.
1: I don't understand. Well, as you promised, Salps.
0: We have talked about this before, that there are chordata that do not actually have spines. So invertebrate members of the phylum chordata, which we think of as traditionally spined creatures. Yes. And we generally think mammals, amphibians, reptiles, birds and fishes as being kind of like a breakdown of chordata. Right. This is something different. Kingdom animalia, it's not Caspacho. Phylum (laughs) chordata. The chordates have four defining anatomical features. A notochord, a dorsal nerve cord, pharyngeal slits, and a post-anal tail. You got it. So let's go through these one by one. Number one, the notochord. That's essentially the spine. It's a flexible rod formed by material similar to cartilage or, you know, that could be bone. Okay. If a species has a notochord at any stage of its life cycle, it is by definition a chordate.
1: Okay. So is that what delivers us there with the salp?
0: That is ultimately what delivers us to the salp. Okay. There's also the dorsal nerve cord, which is another Mm -hmm. unique feature to chordates, like the spinal cord, essentially. Mm -hmm. Then we have pharyngeal slits, which are like gill slits in fishes. Yep. And actually all chordates have these for most. The anterior pharyngeal arch gives rise to the oral jaw. And the second arch becomes the hyoid and jaw support. Okay. There are a pharyngeal jaws, like the jaw inside of a throat, like an alien. That second jaw would be a pharyngeal jaw. It's thought that pharyngeal slits evolved from nephridia, which we've encountered in some of our creatures. Mm -hmm. The term nephredia.
1: Can you remind me what that is? The nephredia?
0: Only kind of. It does sound uh,
1: familiar, but I literally have no clue.
0: It's a tubule that's open to the exterior, so it's like an organ of excretion or osmoregulation.
1: Okay, so it's kind of like a butthole.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much like an orifice, essentially. Yeah. The pharyngeal slits do a lot, especially for organisms that live in aquatic environments. So the water that enters the mouth can exit through the pharyngeal slits during feeding. Okay. So they can also be used to filter food out of water that enters the mouth in our invertebrate chordate friends mm-hmm. in vertebrate fishes they'll develop into gill arches but in most terrestrial animals including mammals and birds the pharyngeal slits are present only during embryonic development and then they develop into the jaw and inner ear bones
1: gotcha cuz we got to like have gills to breathe in the s- liquid sacs that we develop in
0: exactly exactly <laughs> Exactly. And then the number four, the post-anal tail. <laughs> I think that's just, I mean, come on. <laughs> think, of, think about fish and monkeys, you know. Also, endostyles are uh, a hallmark of chordates. That's also the thyroid in humans. Hmm.
1: Endostyles.
0: Endostyle. So now we're in a subphylum, the tunicates, tunicata. This is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, in marine invertebrates, but they're still chordata. Okay.
1: I feel like they're cheating with that. I just feel like it's not fair. Like embrace your invertebrateness.
0: I mean, sure. But like they can't help their nature.
1: Of course. But why, why would you want to be a cordado when you can be an invertebrata?
0: I don't know, Meredith. That's a really good question. (laughs)
1: Let me live. Okay.
0: I mean, look, there's a lot going on in tunicates. Some are solitary. Some live in colonies. In a colony, each individual is known as a zooid. (laughs) So each individual, each zooid is a filter feeder with like a water filled sack like body structure. They kind of look like the comb jellies. Honestly, they're like clear, like two inches in length. The ones that we're talking about, at least like a max length of like two inches. And they have Two totally tubular openings that are known as siphons. Mm -hmm. So there's like an incurrent and an excurrent, an inhalant and an exhalant siphon, which is much like our mollusk friends. So there's some similarities there. Yeah. Most are sessile, which is a word that we encountered before with a bivalve friend, Mm -hmm. which means that they're immobile and permanently attached to the rocks.
1: Yes. I'm looking at pictures now. and Yeah.
0: There's a lot going on with tunicates. Like they're varied there are some that float freely, like the larvaceans, the duliolids, the pyrosomes, and our hashtag salp squad, and they're just free swimming in the pelagic zone of the sea as adults. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh,
1: there's one that look looks like a full on like lung.
0: Right. It's got like right. purple veins
1: right. and stuff on it. It looks like somebody lost their lung in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy looking. I love all the colors I'm seeing. They've got this like phosphorescence going on. There's like. Right. See kind of clear ones. I see purple, pink, and blue ones.
0: Well, that's where their name comes from. Tunicate is because of their unique outer covering or tunic, (gasps) which is formed with proteins and carbohydrates.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. And it acts as a sort of exoskeleton.
1: Creature fashion.
0: I know. Just made out of protein and carbs. It's like the paleo tunicate diet.
1: There's got to be some like tunicate version of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dream Coat. There must be. It's like Joseph and the amazing Technicolor tuna Coat. Uh,
0: listen, we have common names for tunicates include sea squirts, sea pork, sea livers, C- sea tulips, and they date to the early Cambrian period.
1: All of those sounded filthy. Yeah,
0: I know. They really did.
1: Sea squirts, sea porks, tulips.
0: Sea livers.
1: (laughs) Sea livers.
0: Sea onions.
1: Who named these? I
0: don't know. Maniacs. (laughs) The class Thaliacea is the group of tunicates that are free floating. They're pelagic for their entire lifespan. Unlike their benthic relatives, the ascidians. And this class, they exist in both solitary and colonial forms. So remember, Meredith, that now we're saying the pelagic zone, which is kind of... Mm -hmm generally like the open water and then yeah. towards the bottom you get down to the benthic zone right and then in i think your species name you mentioned littoral like there was a word with the same root as littoral and the littoral zone is another zone in the water
1: oh yeah littorin amorpha
0: littorin amorpha and then you said that they kind of lived by the coast so all that tracked which is a term i know from like military procedures i remember seeing it some like military announcement was like, we will continue littoral operations or something like that. Oh, wow. And so I looked it up. That was when I first encountered it. But there's other zones. There's, I mean, you're going to love these names of the different regions of the ocean. (laughs) I mean, obviously we have like coral reefs, continental shelves, oceanic zone. We also have the narratic zone and we have kelp forests and (gasps) seagrass meadows Working our way up to the intertidal zone.
1: These sound like uh, tracks in Mario Kart.
0: They do. They do. Oh, I could the go for Sea Seagrass from Mario forest. Kart. Yeah. It's
1: so good, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a really fun game. So now we are in the order Salpida, family Salpidae, genus Salpa. We are clearly talking salps. And then our species is the Fusiformis, the quote unquote common salp. With cosmopolitan distribution found at depths of 0 to 800 meters, they engage in dial vertical migration, which means they move closer to the surface at night. They're barrel-shaped and elongated, as said. So they live different stages of life, which we're getting to. There's one where they're solitary, and there's another where they're together in a colony. When they're together in the colony, they can range in sizes from about a quarter of an inch up to two inches. But when they're solitary, they tend to be a little bit of a larger size, like 0.9 inches up to still a max of about two inches. In
1: Maybe that's like the long one I saw.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I probably. wasn't
1: in a group like the others that I saw pictures of.
0: Yeah. Well, we're getting to that. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. They live in equatorial temperate and cold seas. These are truly cosmopolitan creatures. <laughs> and, this colony that Meredith keeps giving away the obvious thing with are these super cool strings that they form where they all get together and they like link arms or whatever. (laughs) And they create what almost kind of look like floating spines that sort of like spiral, like almost these helix shapes that just stretch for however long I know. And so what they do is they have this super complex life cycle where they have what's called an alteration of generations, which means oh. that they reproduce both sexually and asexually, but at different times in their lives. So the entire life cycle is that they are a solitary, floating oozoid. O uh, O <laughs> Z O O I D. Oozoid. Oozoid. Oozoid.
1: Okay, yeah, that sounds
0: right. A single animal that reproduces asexually and reproduces chains of tens to hundreds of individuals that are released from the parent when they're a small size. Okay. So after they do that for a little while, then they team up into these massive chains, which are the aggregate portion of their life cycles. And the individuals and aggregations are called (laughs) blastozoids. Blastozoids. And they all remain attached to each other as they swim and feed. And at this point, they're reproducing sexually. But they do that through sequential hermaphrodism. So first, they mature as females, and then they are fertilized by older males. And then as they become older, they become males, and they fertilize younger females. Okay. (laughs) Babies are released to feed and grow into the solitary asexual phase, and thus is the completion of the life cycle.
1: So- Could we say that when they're in this like helix formation, is it like a big, long, like daisy chain kind of? Because if they're at that point, they're all sexually reproducing, they're all like hooked together and they're like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's pretty much exactly what's happening and where gender (laughs) is sort of a construct of time and changes through time and space and individuals start one way and end another. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like a daisy chain where you come out like wholly transformed.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of wild because it's like they just never seem to stop reproducing. It's like when they're by themselves, they reproduce alone. And then they get together in these sort of colonies where they go through changes to ensure that there's like enough of whatever. You know what I mean? It's just wild.
1: Endlessly fascinating. I just can't wrap my head around it.
0: Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So... Because they can reproduce so quickly, one of their secrets to success is certainly that and the way in which it responds to phytoplankton blooms because that's what they eat. So there can be these sets of circumstances where all of a sudden a lot of phytoplankton blooms and then the salps come in and eat all of it up. And because there's such an abundance, they can reproduce even more quickly. And that can exhaust the entire, like, resources of the phytoplankton bloom very quickly and just kind of eliminate it. Yeah. And then the poop and the dead bodies of the salps falling (laughs) down to the bottom of the ocean has a significant enough effect on the biological pump of the ocean to be noteworthy. Like, there are enough salps in the ocean that are pooping and dying that... The entire like process of how carbon travels through the ocean and everything <gasps> has a pretty uh, it, it has a significant impact on that. Whoa! Yeah, so large changes in their abundance or distribution can alter the ocean's carbon cycle and could potentially play a role in climate change.
1: Wow! Wait, so these guys could like they're kind of like a canary in the coal mine if they're if there's like a noticeable say, decrease in, like, salp or tunicate Uh populations that are, like, Uh the habitat of the ocean isn't supporting these creatures. This could be a signal that, you know, things are really... Like, the carbon is so disrupted within the ocean and that could have, you know, a chain reaction of events across the world.
0: Yeah, a sort of butterfly, you know, like the flapping of a tunicate's tunic (laughs) in the South Asian Sea. Causes the stock market to crash in New York City.
1: Yeah. Holy shit.
0: And then I would like to, you know, kind of circle back because I know I've just been blowing everybody's mind here because <laughs> we thought that all members of the phylum Chordata were vertebrates. And that is simply not true. The phylum Chordata has a subphylum called Vertebrata where all of The vertebrates are. And we are now in a different subphylum with our salp friends because we're talking tunicates. We're in the tunicata. Whoa. Just to circle back.
1: That's insane. This is all insane.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm here to blow your mind, Meredith. It's 2020. This is the pen ultimate animal fan club of a year I think none of us expected. No. I'm just happy that I can point your animal energy focus in a direction that maybe it wouldn't have headed otherwise, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, amen to that. And here's to a, you know, a shitty 2020, but that was also full of, you know, more time for animal exploration and exploring our natural environments with a little bit more um, curiosity and whimsy. I know I had a lot more time to spend out in nature Uh Um, Noticing things I wouldn't have otherwise. Uh Uh-huh. Which I do find to be a huge gift and a bright spot within this awful year.
0: Yeah, I agree. You can put that bright spot right on your tunic and wear it (gasps) like a kooky tunic kit. And go through a complex sort of (laughs) non-stop reproductive life cycle experience.
1: As a a woman with an expendable womb and a womb with an expiration date, I'm going to refrain from that, but girl, I will wear a tunic all day long.
0: All right. Well, great. Well, I guess let's take a break and get our tunics out. Yes. Calling all kinky mollusks. Calling all kinky crustaceans. Calling all kinky fishes. Snodarian Motorboat Club is proud to announce
1: Mid-Atlantic Leather, Marianas Trench Edition.
0: The new adults-only leather and kink event for all aquatic animals.
1: Presented by Brand Clubby.
0: In the exclusive deep, deep depths of the Marianas Trench.
1: This year, the host hotel is carapace wood suites.
0: Go deeper than you ever thought possible.
1: Meet hot singles or polycules.
0: And expand your kinky network of fish friends mollusk mates, or crustacean crushes.
1: (sighs) Mid-Atlantic Leather, Mariana's Trench Edition, is a place for all kinky aquatic creatures to cut loose.
0: And learn more about the leather lifestyle.
1: Sign up for the full three-day package and join us for
0: cocktails with open bar and benthic snacks.
1: All-you-can-eat planktonic Sunday brunch.
0: Souvenir fin band.
1: T shirt sizes extra, extra small to triple, extra large.
0: In all configurations from zero arms to 20 fins.
1: And at a deep, discounted
0: price. Extra, extra deep discounts.
1: Priority access for host hotel lobby.
0: Ride the stingery shuttle to the closing dance party provided by Kondrichthy's Transport.
1: Registration begins today for all sexy salps.
0: By curious bivalves.
1: Pup plane porpoises.
0: Whore-ish horseshoe crabs.
1: And beta cuck cod.
0: Find out exactly why Scotoplanes is called the sea pig
1: and learn the nuances of crustacean water sports
0: bring your leafy sea dragon lover limits are respected
1: or come alone with a friendly atmosphere you will meet sexy single cephalopods
0: or leather lampreys
1: and develop friendships that will last a lifetime
0: or just an evening remember the right kind of attention doesn't have to stop unless you want it to.
1: Sign up now, before all tickets are gone.
0: Use code SAFEWORD20 to save 20% off registration.
1: More info on the Brand Clubby web portal. Oh, cinnamon oats.
0: And, uh... 2020 Christmas Ale. Although not from Great Lakes Brewing, god damn it. Ugh. Wait a minute. I just had the realization that this is the season without Christmas Ale. Oh And I got furious. I just read
1: about that in the paper, the Great Lakes Christmas Ale. Like, this morning.
0: It's so good. You should get it while you're in Cleveland. Or Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, I think they they sell a lot of the Great Lakes stuff here.
0: Yeah, you should get some. You should bring back a case of it.
1: I'll see what I can do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But, anyways, we're clearly in the feedback.
1: The Christmas feedback. <sighs> well, Ed from Claremont County asks How do horses really feel about having bits shoved into their mouths? What if they don't like the way the metal feels on their teeth? What if they don't want a rider on their back and they just want to run wild and free like the Mustangs? Oh, to be a wild Mustang. Um, Ed? I don't know how you type this with hooves, but you seem to be a frustrated horse.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from you, Ed.
1: Um, are you all right, Ed? I mean, I I know the man will get you down, but, you know, we're here to support you.
0: Yeah, this is a complex question, Ed. I guess I just need to know if I'm speaking to a human or a horse in this moment, I guess. It's
1: hard to tell.
0: Hard to tell. I guess let's go through this question in order. How do horses really feel about having bits shoved into their mouth? I guess that depends if they're at Midwestern leather, (laughs) Plains edition. But I would imagine most are not feeling super positive.
1: Yeah, I bet it's, like, something they get used to, but, like, it's got to be really jarring at first. I I mean, I can relate in so much as, you know, wearing a retainer.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, your retainer journey right now.
1: Having, like, a foreign kind of metal object in my mouth and it kind of rubbing on my teeth all weird. Yeah. But, man, a bit. It's just, like, this thing that it just seems really draconian, I have to say.
0: Yeah, it does feel that way. So, you don't like the way that metal feels on your teeth, Meredith, which is the second part of this question. So, I guess. Yeah, I don't. It's kind of tracking with Meredith's experience. Probably we assume horses are feeling the way. Not that you speak for all horses, of course.
1: (laughs) Certainly not.
0: I mean, how do you feel about having a rider on your back? Do you just want to run wild and free like the Mustang?
1: Always. Always. Especially one of those curly horses. The ones with like the curly hair, I have to say, it's like the background on my iPad is the curly horse. Uh And I feel like Uh such free spirited wild plains vibes every time I see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it is sort of your spirit from (laughs) the 90s. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. My Joan Osborne, what if God was one of us in horse form?
0: Yeah. I guess, um, does that answer your question, Ed?
1: I hope, I just, yeah, I mean, the only thing I can do is personalize this, and I would agree with you in a lot of ways, Ed.
0: Ding, ding, ding.
1: Ding, ding, ding. Okay.
0: Stefan from Saratoga asks, are manatees the reindeer of the sea?
1: Definitely. I mean, ungulate squad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've heard manatees called sea cows. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: So I guess, are they projecting more of a cow or more of a reindeer energy?
1: Well, I mean, like, what's the cow come from? Like, the fact that they just kind of graze on the ocean floor? That's not specific to cows.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You could say that their agility along sea cliffs through the medium of water is similar to the agility of other ungulates, like the reindeer and, like, goats Sure. Perchance. Excuse me. I don't believe that they are ungulates,
1: They're not. I know they have like the um, kind of the feet. It's very similar to an elephant, actually.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. Are you
1: looking it up?
0: No, I'm not. I have a ukulele, like a a clip that goes on a stand that you can hang a ukulele from in my hands. That's what I'm currently doing with my hands.
1: Okay, I'm just going to look up manatees real quick to see if there's any ungulate reference. No, no ungulateness.
0: Yeah. Well, so then it's, uh, I mean, in my head, they're they're sea cows, but I feel like around Christmas time, they dress up like sea reindeer. And well, here's an argument against. If I were trying to deliver presents to the whole of the ocean, I would opt for more of like a porpoise squad. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, because see, I mean sea cows. Manatees are very slow moving. They're really not in a hurry to get anywhere. They're big. You know, they're related to the elephant actually. Maybe that's what I was thinking of in terms of like odd <laughs> terrestrial relationships. But yeah, I would think the the dolphins would be more like fleet to fin sure. than the manatee would be.
0: But maybe this is a sort of like tortoise and hare situation. like Sure. Maybe the manatee's better for a long haul. Maybe we're... I I don't know. This is complicated, Stefan.
1: Maybe it's like our manatee is the Mack truckers of the sea. Long haul drivers. Hmm. Who knows?
0: Who's to say?
1: Who's to say? Uh, ding, ding.
0: Ding, ding, ding. Ding? Yeah, Ding, 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 ding.
1: Okay. Also reindeer related. Lindy from Kansas City wants to know... Are the reindeer unionized? No. No.
0: Generally not.
1: They're not getting regular breaks. They're overworked. They're tired.
0: Yeah. Many are hired seasonally and then not provided with any sort of health care considerations and are worked extreme hours at low hourly rates. Yeah. Sacrificing their body.
1: Right. It's a sad world for the for the reindeer right now.
0: Yeah. Sad world for labor in general, one might say.
1: God. Say that again.
0: It's a sad time for laborers in general.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Can't be sad enough.
0: Yeah. I'll stop saying it now.
1: Yeah. So I guess that's a, a definitive no.
0: But they should be.
1: They sh- absolutely should be. Give our reindeer a break.
0: Thanks, Lindy. Ding, ding, ding.
1: Ding, ding, ding.
0: Meredith, we did it another thrilling episode. We had a near-crisis incident over here that's been resolved, thankfully.
1: Thank goodness.
0: And uh, you're in the outpost, the gypsum wall edition <laughs> of Animal Fan Club recording on a phone. And I just have the Christmas spirit in my heart.
1: Me too. I'm a real Christmas.
0: Well, mazel tov on that. Yeah keep the questions coming animal fan club pod at gmail.com
1: we love to hear from you no matter the question no matter the time of day we love to hear from you
0: yeah slide into our inbox
1: Benmo, um also open and ready for contributions
0: yeah fox totally love disney Venmo's.
1: plus who else did we reference brand clubby brand clubby throw us that lettuce yeah. We'll munch it down.
0: We need an awful lot of lettuce for the fella who will get us there <laughs> for just a lousy little grand. We could be a millionaire. Look at that. Bye! Bye. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences.
1: Send us your listener feedback questions to AnimalFanClubPod at gmail.com.
0: Follow us on Instagram at AnimalFanClubPod at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno.
1: And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app that really helps us out.
0: Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.